1: I hate them. All of them, bro. When it comes to sports, right? There's people that play the sport because they love the sport. And then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like, those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. (laughs) Like, that's whack. Like, I play this because I'll die by it. Clemens, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. Maybe it's third quarter, maybe it's fourth. Our backs are to our tunnel. TV timeout. Clemens is talking to us, really talking at 17. And first of all, why are you talking to my quarterback? Don't talk to my quarterback. Stay over there. Don't say nothing to none of my guys. Don't talk to 17. I'm really serious about that. Don't talk to him. Don't say nothing to him at all, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to defend him by any means.
3: Deion Dawkins, shirtless interview. I feel like he's shirtless in a lot of interviews. He is. He went to the ESPYs shirtless. He wore a blazer, like a jacket, over with nothing else. He can do what he wants. That's the snowman, as he's known. Talking about Jets defensive players, how much he hates the Jets. Michael Clemens was the number one guy. He said, and Williams, he's fine with, plenty of respect. But uh, it was Clemens that uh, he really doesn't like. All right. He's allowed. I do wonder if that's the kind of thing where afterwards the Bills call and be like, hey, isn't that bulletin board material? Although, it's not often talked about as bulletin board material. If a, this kind of gets our conversation with Matthew, if a wide receiver says that, it's like, wow, look at this guy. Here's an offensive tackle saying, it. And like, hey, be you, big guy. Do your thing. Rivalries in the trenches, Dawkins and Michael Clemens. I'm sure when uh, the Jets and Bills, by the way, perfect opener next year, perfect opener, Jets at Bills. Run it back. Aaron Rodgers gets his second crack at the Bills, except it's got to be here. We're not doing it at his stadium again. That is if he makes it to the season and you know, can play, which I'm sure he's planning on doing. Jeremy White with you. Joe's out today. You can give us a call at 803-0550. We talked a lot today, actually, about court storming, and no one is called to say it's got to go. No one's called to, to, to wag your finger at the college students to do it, and I'm not saying that I expected that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Uh, is is it a universal kind of yeah? It's cool. It's a shame that people get hurt, and sometimes it's done too much. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I if I expected anybody to call and say it's got to go. But the number of people relaying the stories of when they did it, and it was okay, nobody got hurt. I, I think there are fine points all around it. It's just it does not seem that there's a outcry like there is from I, I keep saying Jay Billis, who I respect greatly. I think Jay Billis is you know. For my money, one of the best college basketball voices out there, and measured quite a bit. He was way ahead of the NIL craze here, it's talking about paying players long, long ago. And he's one that says fans should never be on the court; it should never happen. And of course, the Duke player uh, got hurt, and here we are. You know, we've we've had a couple of scares. One with Caitlin Clark, now the one with the uh, the Duke player Filipowski. So it's kind of been a bit of a topic. We've talked about it a little bit today taking stories of uh, when you had a chance to get on the court if or the field, if you ever stormed a court, stormed a field. And uh, we'll continue to take those calls and stories, if you'd like, at 803-0550 and one eight eight It is restructure season, and it is cuts, right, like un- Unexpected cuts, some some to be exe- expected, some to not be expected. I find it interesting, you know, you've got your your sites, SpotTrack and OverTheCap.com, and they're the two websites that, if you're dealing with salary cap stuff, one that OverTheCap has that I did not realize until right now is they have contract value for guys that are under contract, not market value. A lot of times we'll bring up SpotTrack and talk about how, hey, SpotTrack puts market value for Gabe Davis at And then, you know, there's the number. I'll actually get it for you to make this point here. And it's based on other guys, comps, who signed what. Like Gabe's market value, according to Track is about 13.6. Now, market value and then just actual what your contract value is worth if you're someone that's under contract might be different, right? But at Track, market value is pretty cool. At Over the Cap... I've never seen this before. I'm sorry, I've been to over the cap plenty of times. The valuation, which is how much this player is worth for guys that are under contract, I, I like that quite a bit. And I immediately went to see like, all right, well, what's what's Diggs? Well, about 17 million for Diggs. Davis is about twelve on contract valuation. So so it's not just, you know, market value, but what they are on a team. And with Diggs, you know. We'll get into this plenty more with the offseason and with, with the receivers. There's video of him. He was out at uh, a U.S. soccer team event, chicken hands with Christian Pulisic. But it's been relatively quiet. And other receivers dealing the spotlight has been nice, whether it's A.J. Brown or Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayoub, C.D. Lamb's family coming for the Cowboys management, all of it. Like, it is kind of funny. So it's been quiet, and a lot of times we, we fill the silence with wide receiver drama as they – Endlessly get asked if they like the team that they're on. More to come. 8030550 and one eight 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 five fifty-two five fifty to join us. Sabres Game Night. We've got uh, Sabres and Panthers tonight. Carry that game for you here. Sabres and Lightning. And again, Don Granada moved to tomorrow. Usually we talk to Don today on Tuesdays. Moved move him to tomorrow, so we'll get a little bit of a post game on Sabres and Panthers. To the Western hotline we go. Maybe a little court storming. A little check-in on some Syracuse stuff as well. Brent Axe joins us, friend of the show. Brent, good morning. I've, I've, I've done a little more on court storming than I thought I would today, but it seems to be a national uh, issue. And, you know, with the injury... So, Kyle Filipowski, it, it it's in the spotlight. I wonder what, what you feel about it from a, you the know, standpoint of someone that's been around an awful lot of, I'd imagine, stormed courts.
4: I was just in one uh, two weeks ago in Syracuse, North Carolina, the Dome, and I had to turn around to the Syracuse student section and plead with them to not run me over on their way to the court and uh, show them the stairwells on which they could exit <laughs> in a graceful manner and line up and storm of the court. Look, he had two of the biggest names in basketball, Caitlin Clark, and now Kyle Philpowski, get swept up in this. You can't face right? Like, me a college kid that's going to get ready to storm the court and someone's going to tap him on the shoulder and be like, bro, can't do that. NCAA, man. He's like, ah, damn it, we can't do that now, right? So what I think you have to do is implement a policy that either the coach or an official calls a timeout, grabs a microphone and says, guys, listen, you know you want to do this, let the other team get off the court, and then go nuts. I believe there was a one-minute pause rule that was out there proposed. I think that's the best solution, because not every school has the resources to bring in extra security, and even if they do, Jeremy, like, I know some ushers at the Dome. They're nice people, but they're not stopping a 19-year-old kid rushing the court if he wants to, right? But yep. so I think common sense has to come into play here. Tell the kids, like, guys, we get it. Just let the other team get out of here and then be safe and have fun. And then I think that's
3: all you can do. Brent X joining us. You know, Brent, when it comes to – you're talking about finding ways to live with it because – it should not go away. I mean, there are some that would say it's got to go. The fans never belong in the court, but I don't think there's any denying that you know it, it, it has been right or wrong part of the college atmosphere. It does not really happen in the pros routinely, and yet in college you're going to get that kind of thing because David's going to beat Goliath more routinely, or at least it's going to mean more. So, is it for you about dealing with it and not eliminating it?
4: Hundred percent, and it goes back to that game a couple weeks ago because the the argument that I was having with Syracuse fans was you had a lot of old school fans, hey, man, hey, we didn't rush the court against the seventh ranked team in the country. It's like you got to realize that this generation of Syracuse basketball fans, not seen in terms of the kids actually attending the university. And I've seen a top-ten team lose Syracuse in five years. That's their moment. It may not be the moment you had, but if Earl Washington hit the half-court shot or Syracuse fans stormed the court three times in 03 when they beat Pittsburgh, or I could go through some of the others' history, but it's their moment that they want to experience and be a part of. I think you do have to live it. For, for that exact moment, and it's different now because everybody's got their phones up and they're recording it, and, you know, Jeremy, you and I would have done the same thing. We had a phone back in the day that could record the phone, so I, I think people need to yeah. stop with that. But I mean, I'm, I'm with, let's live with it. Let's figure out a smart and safe way to do it and go with that because it's not going away. You can't ban something. We just can't. It's, it's unreasonable.
3: Brent Nax, columnist at Syracuse.com, also the Syracuse Sports Pod. All right, Brent, so you said you were there for a court storming a couple of weeks ago. Syracuse beats North Carolina. It's funny, as a Syracuse alum who has watched a lot of Syracuse basketball over the years, I, I said to friends the other day, I'm like, their record is not that much different than it ever is. However, the fact that they scored 55 points in a single half of basketball is something I don't know that I'd seen in 15 years. So uh, Adrian Autry definitely has things going differently.
4: And that was the game after, Jeremy, they had scored 60 points total against Georgia Tech. And it took a long time for this team to kind of figure it out. But they're a team that, you know, look, he switched to man to man defense. I'm glad that he did. I'm glad it's part of the repertoire now, and it's pretty much what they do. But given the injuries they've had, given the dismissals they've had, they just don't go deep enough. And that 8-9, 10 man rotation to play man-to-man effectively. So the state lives and breeds on its offensive game. You look at, you know, they've won three in the last four. They've scored 85 points or more in all three of those games. The Miami game, they won at the Dolls. That's a last-second three-pointer that they won. When they pulled the ball, they are a different basketball team. What happens is you just have too many players on this team. Cuban Mints, Wadier-Copeland did this a little bit last game you still won it, but he kinda of got a little bit of they just get into this ISO ball routine. It feel like they've got to be in the IT. So so they're very talented offensively. Chris Bell has really emerged in the last six or seven games. He was kind of painted as a stand in the corner catch and shoot three guy, but now he's sitting everywhere. And, and Jeremy that corresponds with the dismissal of Benny Williams. You know, that has really opened up you know, Chris Bell, I think, just feels like he has more freedom to get the ball shoot everywhere around. It's just frustrating because you got six sophomores out there, and as much as Audrey tells them to do this, the guys, when you move the ball, you a bust your ass on defense. Good things happen. But look at the other night against Notre Dame. They're up 49-20 to with a minute to go until halftime, and all of a sudden, Notre Dame goes on a 10-0 run into the half that carries over into the second half. So it's February, what, 26th, and this team has not grown up yet. So everybody's wondering, can they make a run at the tournament? Uh, Maybe, but but they're kind of in this all-or-nothing approach to do it, and that they just have to flat-out outscore everybody they play because they don't make enough stops on defense. They're really good at getting steals in transition and forcing teams into turnovers but you can't play 40 minutes of defense that way. So it's just kind of all or nothing to go out there and see if you can drop 90 on
3: everybody. Brent X, columnist, Syracuse uh, Sports. When we talk about Syracuse Sports Podcast, I should say, dot Syracuse.com, when we talk about uh, the football team, Brent, just final thought here, have seen a number of big names and big commits. You know, the uh, the, the coach is, is making a buzz. The question, the million-dollar question is, how is he going to be as a coach outside of a recruiter? But I would imagine that in Syracuse, the football team's got a bit of a buzz. Uh,
4: I've never seen this much buzz in late February for Syracuse football my entire life. The big difference, Jeremy, is Fran Brown, normally a coach comes in, it says, and we've seen it with the Buffalo Bills, it says, here's what I want to do. Fran Brown came in and told John Wildman, here is what I will do. Here are the players I can get. Here are the coaches I can get and the recruiting ground that they cover. And, look, if you're going to turn this thing around, you've got to have talent. Syracuse has a big mix of incoming recruits in the transfer portal. But you said it. Can the guy coach? Well, I know Jeff Nixon, the offensive coordinator, can coach because he ran a Baylor offense scored a million points and went to the Big 12 championship game a few years ago. Elijah Robinson was the co-defensive coordinator at Texas A&M last year. He's still coming up as a play caller, but had one of the best defensive lines in the country and has brought in some of those players to the Syracuse. There are other coaches on the staff that have experience. And look, Frank Brown has to prove he can do it, Jeremy. And to hear Kirby Smart talk about how Frank Brown, was at his side, kind of like you know the Miabi Larusso relationship, just doing everything he could to learn about being a head coach. We have got to see it pan out here, but it feels like Fran Brown got the best possible education he could to do this. We know he can recruit. Now we got to see if he can call plays and do game day things. Because this was all great, Jeremy. But you know biggest weakness? This was the guy that had two prior head coaching stints was game day coaching. That's what needs to be fixed here. And Brad Brown looks like he's got the talent to do it. He's certainly got the schedule to do it. Syracuse really lucked out with the schedule next year. But we'll all see you on game day. That's, that's the
3: big yeah. question. Brent Axe joining us. Brent, before we let you go, finally, are you on the wide receiver train? Chee-dee, chee-dee. <laughs> all right. Good.
4: Let's go. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I your tweets feed me, Jeremy. I couldn't be more in on this. I don't know if they can get him. Bean's gonna have to build a deal. But my dream guy would be Keon Coleman somehow, some way. I think he would we'd make beautiful music with him in this offense, Josh Allen. But there's a lot of great receivers in this draft. And let's go, baby. I'm in.
3: Alright. Thanks, Brent.
4: Great to hear from you guys. It's always great to be on the Mighty WGR. Have a great day.
3: Thanks, Brent. Brent Axe, Syracuse.com, Syracuse Sports Pod. Keon Coleman, guy would have played against Syracuse in the ACC with Florida State. He, I'm, I'm so eager to see how he eventually falls. I saw a tweet from Todd McShay about the receiver class. And what he said was, he, he said a couple things as impressions from Indianapolis. Now, it's the combine, of course. Draft season is a big, big event. They're going to be risers and fallers. They're going to be guys that test well, guys that kind of flunk. Somebody's going to sh- show up overweight. Somebody's going to be taller than people think he is. Somebody's going to be shorter, hand size. Last year, what? Was this last year? Kenny, how long is Kenny Pickett? Been? Two years ago. Kenny Pickett hand size two years ago. How big is his hand? You know, it's, it's combine season. We're going to talk about how big guys' hands are. Anyway, Todd McShay. He wrote something about an impression from the combine being that the wide receiver group—not that this doesn't say anything to how good or bad it is—but it's the most polarizing group after Marvin Harrison Jr. The majority have neighbors two and a Dunze three, but some are not as sold. And that there's lots of love for Xavier Worthy, Ricky Pearsall, Xavier Leggett, Lad McConkey, Roman Wilson, and Javon Baker. And it's interesting because. You know, on the wide receiver train, choo-choo, there are going to be teams that have vastly different opinions. Someone's going to think Keon Coleman is amazing. Someone's going to think he doesn't separate and he's not worth it. And, you know, what are the Bills likely to do? We know the Bills are likely to go for RAS, Relative Athletic Score. What the Bills do in the draft is they consistently take athletes. So when you look at RAS scores. Like here, here's a good example. Kent Lee Platt had this um, uh, earlier last week. Pro Football Network 365 Mock Draft Simulator Curator. Okay, sorry. There's a lot of numbers coming at you, but trust me on this. Here's what I mean. So in the 2020, uh, 2020 draft class, these are, these are on a scale from 1 to 10, or I guess 0 to 10. How athletic is your class from 0 to 10? In 2020, I'll eliminate decimal numbers. I'll just give you the first, signi- the first digit, okay? The Bills' draft class, their athletic scores on a scale of 1 to 10 were 4, 2, 6, 1, 7, and 4. Isaiah Hodgins was a 7. Gabe Davis was a 6.8. The next year, the Bills' numbers were 7, 9, 10, 9, 5, 6, 7, 8. Spencer Brown being the 10. might remember that about him. The next year... 8888984 and 9 Luke Tenuta was the 4. And then last year Dalton Kincaid I guess didn't have a, a RAS 68787. Eight, seven. The point is if you're like an 8 and above that's a green light. And in 2020 the bills drafted no greens and two yellows. The next year it was four greens, four yellows. The next year it was seven greens like they go for athletes. So one thing to keep in mind when looking at the receiver class is to look at the relative athletic score. They it, it covers positions for the Bills regardless. They want they want athletes. And that's a lot of different things that they measure. And of course, receivers are going to have higher numbers than some other position groups, but keep an eye on it. The RAS, that score is important to the Bills and has been for several years. 8030550 1 888 550 2550. Jeremy and Joe, Joe out today. You can uh, give us a call on really anything we've talked about here on WGR. All right, it's time for the stat of the day. Stat of the day is brought to you by Seneca Gaming and Irving, home of the biggest bingo payouts and slot machines with thousands won daily. Had a few nominees for the stat of the day, but I liked Warren Sharp's. Stats on kickoffs. And it's going to be something to watch as the league and competition committees, like Sean McDermott on the competition committee, he'll be tasked with giving thoughts on this. Everything about the kickoff is dead. Just about everything. Last season, touchback rate, 73%, highest in history. How many kickoff returns for touchdowns? Four. That's the fewest since 2000. How many onside kicks? 41. The fewest since 2000. So, the league is going to be open-minded. Judy Batista tweeted about that. Competition committee resumes meetings. Chair Rich McKay would not commit to a change definitely happening. He said the league has been open-minded about changing the kickoff in order to keep those plays in the game. So, your stat of the day is no more returns, no more onside kicks. I mean, they really neutered the onside kick a long time ago. Would love to see them go for the 4th and 15 operation, the uh, Greg Schiano rutgers kind of rule. I would support that. But it does introduce the penalty, which I think is a great counterpoint. If you don't know what that suggestion is, it is instead of an onside kick, you go for a 4th and 15 from your own 20-yard line. And if you get it, you can keep the ball problem is ticky tack foul on a defensive holding and all of a sudden that's all it took to get the ball and an additional possession and that'd be tough.
1: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
3: But onside kicks go back to the old format. It used to be that you got an onside kick in the neighborhood of, I don't know, one out of every five maybe a little less than that and it dropped way way down you just never see onside kicks recovered it's so rare it it requires a massive mistake as opposed to you know a little bit of the art of kicking it and getting a bounce just so tough to expect so i'm not sure if they're going to make a change there but uh there's there's momentum to maybe make some changes with parts of the kicking game 8030550 the combine underway from Indianapolis, we'll have guests throughout the week. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to check in with uh, Derek Klassen. He charts all the quarterbacks, doing a lot of quarterback workups for receptionperception.com. dot com. He'll join us tomorrow. Marty Barron's going to join us tomorrow. We'll talk little Sabers. Sabers here, you know what can they do? What they can do? What what can they really accomplish here on the stretch run? These last twenty four games, if they were to finish, boy, I mean, I saw. There's a chart out there, how many points they need Chad D Diminicis has this, and this is the way that we should be charting this thirty four points so tonight there are two Thursday there are two they need thirty four points there are forty eight available so if you want to, it's not a magic number because it's not exactly locked in that ninety two points is the final playoff spot, but it is the projected cut line. let's like let's do it that way. You're a golfer on the course, your projected cut is ninety two under 92, you're going home. Over 92, you're getting in. And there's a lot of teams that are alive if we're counting the Sabres as alive. That's a big part of this. But that said, 34 and 14 points, not wins, losses, points. 34 and 14. Find a way to get points every night. See what you can do. And if you were to give me the final standings at the end of this year, And they miss, and the drought continues, but they're, what, four points out of it? Their goal differential recovers. I mean, their goal differential, if you did just goal differential, this is kind of, I don't know if it's funny or torturous or what you might think about it, but if you went just goal differential, the Sabres are in ninth in the East. They're right on the outside. What does that do for you? I don't know. Maybe not much. (laughs) It does indicate who's a good team and a bad team, and it usually lines up with the good teams and the bad teams. They're a minus six. Could they climb up a bit? How about if they passed Tampa and missed? How about that? There is a big gap, by the way, between eighth and ninth right now. Eighth is Tampa with 69. Ninth is Washington with 63. They do have games in hand. But that's a sizable gap in terms of if you were to bet the playoff field, It looks like this division will get five teams. If Tampa makes it and Detroit makes it, that's five. To finish sixth in a division with five teams going, right right now they're in sixth. So I'm not sure if getting that much closer would feel good. Top five things that could make me feel better about the Sabres going forward into next year. Number one, Tage dangling all over people's faces. Number two, Peyton Krebs continuing to do what he's done in these last couple of games. Number three. I don't know. <laughs> Paterka getting to 30. Number four. Lukanen continuing this stretch right to the end of the season. He's really renewed a lot of hope that you've had in goal. And number five. Is that four or five? Five uh, The power play. I mean, that might be part-tage. Part but if they get to the offseason and they miss which it looks like they will their playoff chances are like 1%. But if they miss and they must miss and it's a little more attractive down the stretch I still think that there will be enough of a call to do more from the GM. The the you know it's funny I don't know how to take what the sabers meant by something they said in that that released to season ticket holders, so the Sabers, if you don't, have, if you're not a season ticket holder,s sent out a letter to season ticket holders, and in it, they had a very important line to the season ticket holders that I think is an important line for any sports team to know. The question is, how do they mean it? And what I mean by that is, it said that success is rarely linear. And that is a good a good approach to have for any team, whether you're good or you're bad, that it's rarely linear. In this case, the Sabres were using it in that press release to point out, like, hey, just because there's a fall back doesn't mean that we're going to continue to fall back. And that is correct, that success is not just a straight line up or a straight line down. So there's a little bit of a we still trust our process right here. Our core remains good. We're committed to great young players and we've got assets to play with. In the in the letter though was also like it's this is not good enough. And that's an important message for Kevin Adams to take into the offseason that they can simultaneously feel like with a strong finish like okay, the season was not as bad as it looked at certain times. We don't feel the need to blow it up, but we must act because what just happened is not good enough and All these other teams are going to try to get better too. I mean, if Detroit makes the playoffs, aren't they going to try and build on that and continue to succeed? And if Tampa makes it in a year like this, like Tampa might be old, but okay. All these teams are going to continue to try to get better. The question is how aggressively will the Sabres seek to, I mean, I'm going to say press fast forward, but only because they need to catch up to everybody else. The Sabres are like the team that's watching on a 10-minute delay. You've got to get to fast forward to get where you're supposed to be. This last offseason was a slow play. And this next one has to be, I think, more pointed. More clearly, we're going in this direction. I mean, Kevin Adams before this season said their Stanley Cup window opens. And that means if they miss the playoffs this year because whatever, the power play was a mess, well then that's one thing you've got to figure out. And if you want to get rid of some of your older players and get younger and play with more energy and more speed, okay, time to do that. But next year, I mean, we say playoffs are bust all the time. Next year, you can't even put enough on it on how much they would have to make it to stick with things the way they are. Derek in D.C. Hey, Derek, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Hey, just want to talk about the Bills.
5: Uh, last season, you know, I've, I grew up in Buffalo, moved to uh, on my radio, So uh, I moved down there because there are no jobs or anything, but I watch the Bills all the time. Uh, Ed Oliver is an awesome guy. He's my guy. I just want to talk about contracts. Why is it does it seem that players come to Buffalo to get paid and not play? I mean, I just think the contracts need to be structured different, as far as more incentive base versus salary upfront.
3: Well, I mean, who's done that?
5: All right. Well, let's say, like, say something for Diggs. I mean, our cap space is eaten up by like four players. You well, I
3: mean, but but who's come you know here it. and who's come here and signed a contract and not put up? Not I mean, Diggs definitely did. Diggs is the best. Re- Consistently, he's arguably the best receiver in franchise history. I get that,
5: I get that, but you got to be consistent when you're needed. Right? He has. I mean, he's
3: been very. He he's been very. Is there anybody else?
5: Look at the trade. logo. Okay, so go back to the trade with Diggs. So we we could have drafted just Justin Jefferson, correct? Instead it, we decided to trade for Diggs.
3: Yes, they traded for Diggs months that months before the that? draft. Do you think we won that trade? Yeah, sure. I think it went great. I think you got the best best receiver in the franchise's history.
5: Okay, he's in Buffalo records. Right? I agree with that.
3: I, I mean, he 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 he, really- he he did win a receiving title as a member of the Buffalo Bills, and he and Josh Allen have more of insert every receiving statistic here together than any other pair in the league since the day he showed up.
5: I, I, I still want to go back to the contract thing. Okay, so now look at. That's, okay, I'll give you that one. What about the Von Miller contract?
3: Von Miller contract was paying big money for a guy that got hurt. Like, you know, he, he was putting at, up the at numbers. At his age. Yeah, right. right. but, but at his age, do you
5: think he's on the upside of his career or on the downside?
3: No, I thought that they were probably trying to get his Twilight years and trying to get elite production from him, and they did until he got hurt, and now, you know, it might, might not be a great chance that it happens again. Right. If you want to sign guys, Derek, if you want to sign guys to only incentive contracts, you will never sign any players.
5: Not I'm not saying only incentive contract players. I say you got to be a little bit smarter about just giving everything cuz we're 30th in the cap space right now. That's right. We're over the cap space and we're the 30th team. Texas are sorry, the Houston Texans, they're third, I believe, when I saw the article I think that they're third with like 80 or 90 million. That's right. And available, they're going to be the team to beat, as far as my predictions, prediction. Yeah, and,
3: and then they'll sign their quarterback, and that'll eat $60 million of that. I mean, like, there really isn't any gaming the system other than, I get what you're saying, like some of the rookie deals and cheap deals. What the Texans have, they will not have for that long. They will sign Stroud. They will sign Nico Collins, and that'll eat up $70 million in cap. Like, all, all that having cap space really means is that you haven't paid anybody yet, and eventually you will do that. Like This goes back to when the Bills traded Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby and they cut Marcel Darius and they needed to clear the cap because it was so messy. And they're like, wow, look at all this cap space they have. And then you sign players. Not having cap space is usually a sign. There's like a couple different ways this can go. You want to talk about a team that's had bad contracts and spent money in a bad way, that's the Saints. The Bills have won four division titles in a row and have had a lot of good players and they've kept a lot of players to try to win. Like, the salary cap exists, that's right, but bad teams having a lot of space, you don't hang banners for cap space, you hang banners for championships, and the Bills have been trying to win championships and sign good players and keep good players, and this will be a year where they draft a bunch because they need some cheap labor. I mean, it's just, it's its cyclical. If you want to dog the Von Miller contract because you didn't like it at the time, that's fine. They could have spent that money somewhere else, but the number one reason it went south is because he got hurt. I mean, he had eight sacks in eight games in his first season. If he had 16 sacks for them in year one, there's not a person alive that wouldn't say that wasn't worth what he paid. I mean, should they have signed Dawson Knox? Should they have signed, I don't know, like go up and down? Ed Oliver was a controversial signing when they did it. People didn't all love it, and it ended up being a good deal. They walked away from Tremaine Edmonds. They're going to walk away from Gabe Davis. They let Jordan Poyer go to the market and then come back for cheaper. So it's I just don't think it's anything you can avoid. So, if you're mad about them being in cap jail, no team's ever going to be good and not be in it and or not at least be up against it. You, you have to pay you have to pay for good players. And the only way to avoid it is draft picks, which they have ten of this year, so that'll help. It's the number one reason they have to draft a receiver because it's cheap. Justin Jefferson, in his NFL career, has made to this day thirteen million dollars thirteen his next contract is going to be for like a hundred and sixty as it should. I don't know. I I guess I don't I don't know what you want them to do. You want them to compete and try and sign good players? The the, the number one thing they could do to help their salary cap, you want to be real about this, is stop trading up. When you trade up and you give up draft picks, you give up easy free cheap contracts. You want to get more cheap labor on the on the books? Stop trading up. Use more draft picks. Save money that way. So, thanks. 8030550. I can't think of any reason to as a real good, you know, Good faith, what, what's, what's, what's a term I want to put on that? In good faith, I'll say, I can't think of any reason in good faith to question the Bills on the Diggs trade in which the Vikings selected Justin Jefferson. Like, you were just going to, you should have instead taken the fourth receiver off the board knowing he was going to become the best receiver in football. Why would anybody treat it as, like, that? that's a fair trade? What they traded was a first-round pick. For Justin Jefferson. I'm sorry, for Diggs. They traded a first-round pick. And then, with the help of 21 other teams not taking him, the Vikings then took him. Did the Bills trade the Vikings the assurance that this receiver would not be taken by the 21 teams in front of him? Of course not. The team in front of the Vikings could have taken Jefferson, and the Vikings could have taken Jalen Rager. You didn't trade Diggs for Jefferson. You traded Diggs for a pick. What they do with the pick, have a good time. I got the best receiver in my franchise history. And I also am starting to think like the most underappreciated player in the franchise history. <laughs> Nuts. Like everybody's ready to kick him out of town. He dropped a pass. Oh, man, dropped a pass. Get him out of here. Not that you said that. You didn't say that, Derek. But but no, I don't think for a second about what the Bills could have done with that first overall pick. Whatever, that 22nd pick. Take a defensive end? Great. Like, they would have just taken Jefferson? Why would anybody believe that? Until this year, I got t- people that still tell me there's no way they take a receiver in the first round because that's just not what they do. And I'm supposed to go back in time and say, like, they would have definitely taken this dude? I don't worry about it. You can. I don't worry about it. I don't see anything to gain from it. Should they have taken Mahomes instead of Josh Allen? I mean, got to if you're bringing the energy about Jefferson, you got to bring the energy about Patrick Mahomes instead of Josh Allen. Another one that I, me, I just don't care about it. I don't worry about it. I worried about it for a year and two games, and then by Josh Allen's second career start against the Vikings, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna have fun. we'll have fun with this one. We'll see where it goes." And since then, it's been pretty good. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Not quite a rant, mini, mini. No, Zach and I were discussing it. It was bordering on teetering. It was teetering. Not, rant? It's fine. You were getting close. It's fine. The day they trade digs and someone says they're going to be better for it, that's when you get a rant out of me. Think like how absurd it is the idea that they should get rid of like their second best player on the entire team. Is he second best? Probably. I mean, Allen won. Milano's in the conversation. Oliver's in the conversation. A really great year. Diggs. Ah. Anyway, eight oh three oh five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. You can join us if you'd like. or we'll call the Extra Point Show, which is coming up in a minute. Zach and Josh will be jumping in. Sabres game night. What? Zach and Sal. Zach and Sal. Sorry, Zach and Sal. Uh, sales coming up from the Combine. So you get more coverage from Indianapolis as uh, we roll through with Combine coverage. And coverage of the Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss. And then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Extendo Sports next.
2: Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
3: Is brought to you by The Farmer's Dog. Human-grade food delivered right to your door. The Farmer's Dog. Josh has created instant trivia for today. It is a one-answer instant trivia. Oh. And it's an um, on-this-day instant trivia. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, my answer... You're just going to (laughs) guess? You know, you said, it's a one-answer instant trivia. Albert Bell. No. No. On this day in 1987, what NCAA college football program was given the quote-unquote death penalty? SMU. That is correct. Aren't they the only program to get the death penalty? I think so, yes. Now they're back. They are. They were back two years after that, too. So that's not the death penalty, then. Right. But that's what the NCAA Oh, I know. Yeah, that's for for sure. For whatever reason. That's for sure. Yes. On this day in 1987. All right. You got a little... One quick trivia note for you also. There's a a story in uh, the NBA today where the refs admitted missing a call. The the Pistons coach is furious. They could protest that, and it could work. In the NBA, it has happened before where a game has been protested, and they've played the final 10 seconds the next time those two teams play. In In 2008, the Hawks and Heat played a double header there was a game they played a little bit before where they fouled Shaq out Shaquille O'Neal fouled out of the game they miscounted how many fouls he had and they finished the game and Shaq had not fouled out but they told him he fouled out so they went back and they finished the final 51.9 seconds of that game and then took a break and then started the game that they were supposed to play that day so if the Pistons are serious and the refs admit they got it wrong. A protest can actually bring about a do-over in the NBA. It has happened before. There's a little trivia for you. Okay. Back tomorrow. Uh, Sabres game night tonight. Extra point show. Zach and Sal. He'll be live from Indianapolis. Brandon Bean to speak today. So we'll get a little bit on the uh, wide receiver train. He's going to tell us. He's going to say, baby. Woo! Choo-choo. Today's the day, he says. He says. I got a bet with Joe on the bet board today. First first great opportunity for Bean to say, yeah, baby, we're on the wide receiver train. Just say it. You know you want to.
1: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.